Well, good morning, Timber Creek. Good to see you today and uh, welcome all of our locations and including Iglesia and all of our prison venues from Duncan and Dieball. Some cool stuff happening in our prison venues that we'll talk about in a couple of weeks. Uh, we wanna welcome Nacogdoches, everybody online. Of course, Groves Campus, so glad to have you guys joining us here at the broadcast location. Come on, everybody. Let's welcome each other to church this morning. So glad to have you, and if you're a guest, we wanna roll out the red carpet for you and let you know we're so, we're so glad that you've taken part of your weekend and spent it with us. I believe the Lord is gonna meet you right where you are today. Uh, before we go on, we had some announcements, and I, I just want to encourage you on two things. Uh, tomorrow morning, myself and 34 other individuals uh, are getting on an airplane. We're heading to Israel on a, a tour of the Holy Land, and it's going to be an incredible experience. 34 other people from our church have, have joined. If that's something you're interested in uh, joining us, it's too late. <laughs> uh, you can't, can't go now, okay? But, but uh, if you're interested, uh, on your Connect card there in your seat back, wherever you're joining us, let us know in the chat uh, online. If you're interested in joining us, uh, we'll put you on the list for next year and what we're doing and the times that that'll happen. Uh, I, I think it ought to be, if it's not, it ought to be a bucket list. If you have the capacity to sometime walk where Jesus walked, there, there's something powerful about that. And so uh, in order to get there, though, it's not about planning a trip. I got to have a passport. If I don't have a passport, I can't go. Uh, so thankfully, I've got an updated passport. I'm ready to make it happen. But let me tell you something, two things so important to know. Parents, listen to me with your kids. Camp is a passport to something fresh and something new. Um, if you can make time for other things, I urge you make time for camp. There's something about kids leaving the normal day-to-day -day and spending time having fun and then focusing on Jesus. There's just something powerful about it. It's a passport to something different. And then secondly, I'll say this, Every first Wednesday of the month this year, we're doing first Wednesday. And I believe it's a passport to what God wants to do next through Timber Creek Church. I believe it's not going to be the newest, greatest, biggest strategy. It's not gonna be the renovations at the Groves campus. It's not going to be multiplying leaders and multiplying locations, although that's what God has called us to do in this season of ministry. But it all is gonna be fueled by worship and prayer. There's something happening across our nation where it's not a, a huge uh, sensational thing, but there's a hunger and thirst to just seek the presence of God. And we're gonna do that here when we worship on Sundays, but there's a whole lot of things we're doing on a Sunday. But I invite you, uh, join us to go a little bit deeper in just spending time in the presence of God through worship and prayer on our first Wednesday, seven o'clock at Nacogdoches, seven o'clock right here at the Lufkin location, pre-party for the TC youth at both locations. You don't wanna miss it. Let's lean in to what God is doing in our nation right now, and it all starts here. It's not about us going anywhere else. It's about inviting God to do what he wants to do right here. All right, let's get into week three now of no regrets. I had someone uh, come up to me and say, we were, we were attending something, and somebody from another church came up and said, you know, <laughs> your team needs to kind of spell check some stuff because I drove by your church and it said, it spelled regrets wrong. And, and they were like, 
yeah, that's, that's kind of the point. But uh, nevertheless, thank you, spell checker, uh, for that. Uh, one of our most overlooked, misunderstood, and us underestimated emotions is not our anger, is not our love, is not our feelings. It is regret. And every single one of us uh, have dealt with maybe a small regret or maybe a regret that feels bigger than life. A regret that is easy to point out and it's blatant. Whoopsie. That's, that's your, you know, when you were 14 and you got that, that uh, I'm not talking about an eyebrow tattoo. I'm talking about that tattoo above your eyebrow. And you're like, whoop, could have, maybe could have done that different uh, because Daryl isn't even in the picture anymore. <laughs> Maybe it's uh, regrets that you've been trying to hide. Um, and man, you wish you could just kind of push it under the rug. You just can't. This series has not been how to live with no regrets because that's impossible. It is a reality of humanity. Even God himself had regret. But God himself has regret in a purest sense, a perfect God sense. We have regret and it becomes quicksand uh, because of an action or an inaction or it becomes jet fuel because of an action or inaction we wish were different. And the goal isn't how to live with no regrets. The goal is how do you lean in the transformative power of Jesus when you do feel regrets. Four fundamental columns or kind of the architecture of regrets we've been going through each week is foundation regrets. If only I'd done the work, the shoulda, coulda, woulda, if I only would have just built that base a little bit stronger. And we discovered week one that Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount, if you hear my words but don't do anything. It's like a contractor who builds a house on sand. Like, if only I'd done the work of the right foundation, you can hear a lot of things. But it's about doing the work of what the Word of God is, the moral compass of our lives, encourages us to do and encourages us where to go. Last week, we talked about moral regrets. If only I'd done the right thing. If only I wouldn't have been so self-indulgent. If I only I wouldn't have um, paid attention to, if I would have not held on to that resentment looking at the life of Samson. And if you've missed either one of those weeks, I encourage you to, you can check out the podcast or you can uh, see all of our previous videos uh, on TimberCreekChurch.com. Next week, I'm gonna talk about boldness regrets. If only I'd taken the risk. If only I'd blown on the dice and just rolled it to ask the girl out. If only I'd taken the risk of investing financially. If only I'd taken the risk of saying no now so I could say yes later. And I'm gonna share one of my favorite stories from the scripture. Just a fun, crazy, wild, what kind of story from scripture next week on boldness regrets and how to deal with less certainty and more boldness all at the same time. Now that's next week, but today we're gonna to unpack on week three, connection regrets if you're taking notes. Connection regrets. Connection regrets isn't about your Wi-Fi connection in East Texas or down south over there in mid-counties. Connection regrets is really the shoulda, coulda, woulda, if only I'd reached out. If only I would've made a few more phone calls. If only I would have just let bygones be bygones. If only I would have, only if I should have, I really could have said I love you more. I didn't need to let that senseless thing create such a divide. If only I'd reach out. In the regrets of the dying, uh, a hospice director for over 30 years wrote a book on some of the common regrets of those that are in hospice and what they say when they know that, that 
life is very short. And they're not saying, oh, I wish I would have done better on my taxes. Boy, I wish I, I wish I really would have learned more stats of the Major League Baseball team that I loved. But the common regret is, I wish I would have reached out. I wish I would have spent more time talking to the right people about the right things in the right way. And so what I wanna encourage you today is we all have faced some dirt in life, some junk that makes things dirty. And today we're gonna have to deal with the dirt. Just look to the person, wherever you are, whatever location, the person next to you say, we gotta deal with the dirt. We gotta deal with it. Gotta deal with the dirt. Now here's what dirt is. It's, it's a simple, it's a simple acrostic. Here it is. Don't ignore relational tension. And every single one of us, a time or two or 12, has faced some relational tension. Oh, I mean, you know, you know it in marriage. And after that, after that time at someone's house, you thought the day, you thought the night went good. And your spouse gets in the car and you're driving home. And Janice, I mean, the person you're with says, hey, can we just talk about something real quick? I, 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 I didn't want to bring this up, but I just feel like I need to bring it up. And, I, and I, I just want you to receive this in the best way that you can receive it. It's her way of saying, she's not going to ignore that relational tension or whatever I did say or didn't say or you know, it's usually not me, to be honest. No, no to be honest, it is usually me. Um, there's relational tension, big, small, whatever it is, and it can create a cold shoulder. It can create a uh, great divide. It can create um, that tension creates assumptions that lead something small to become something big, 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 big. So they didn't call you on your birthday and all of a sudden it evolves from that to uh, they've never cared about me. They're always about themselves. They don't understand what I'm going, all I wanted was, and we create this massive tension. You can't sweep dirt under the rug, it's still there, and you can't ignore relational tension. We wanna unpack a little bit of that today. And not only just from relationship around the Thanksgiving table, but let's talk about work because relational tension happens at work too and, and uh, conflict can happen. And uh, from the World Economy Forum, which meets every year in Switzerland, uh, they do a survey of over 50,000 international companies and they ask the question, uh, what are the number one job skills that are necessary right now in the workforce? Uh, like right now in this day and age, what are the necessary skills that I need to bring to the table to be an effective employee in that organization? In 2015, their top three were complex problem solving, coordinating with others, and people management. That was eight years ago. These three were the top of the list as far as skills and competencies for a great employee. In 2020, in January, little did they know March was going to shift this up just a little bit in 2020, but in 2020, complex problem solving was still at the top, but it shifted from coordinating with others and people management to critical thinking and creativity. I want you to notice a slight, a slight movement here in that these two are people-related. Now our top three actually you can see how the management of people is kind of dwindling as we go from more community focused to more individual 
focused. You can even see it in the architecture of our homes. Used to be we build big front porches. Remember spending time maybe on grandma's front porch and we'd have chairs and tables on the front porch and the backyard would just kind of be the backyard, maybe for the garden or whatever. But now we've shifted that to where 50 feet away from the garage, you open the garage door, you go in, you shut the garage door, you don't answer the front door. People walk in through the garage door if they actually know you, but really you're gonna spend more time on the back porch than you are on the front porch. We've kind of shifted from, hey, everybody out here to more of an individualistic culture. And we can even see it that what they're estimating for 2025 In 2025, here's what they believe are gonna be the three skills necessary in the culture wherein we will live three years from now. Critical thinking, active learning, and complex problem solving. Now notice here how much more about me it's become. Critical thinking, I gotta think about this thing. And it's not even active listening, which I think is hilarious. It's just active learning, like I gotta learn some stuff. I gotta be about me, 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 me. I like talking about you, 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 you usually, but occasionally, I wanna talk about me. <laughs> but here's what still stands for the next 10 years. Complex problem solving is like an issue. <laughs> and do you know why complex problem solving is an issue? Because life is complex. There will be problems. They need to be solved. And almost all of those problems are usually gonna be people problems. (laughs) And so their skills are waning to become more about me when really most of our complex problem issues come with communication and relationship. And many times it shows up in the idea of conflict. Conflict. We love conflict when it's with someone else that doesn't affect us. We will buy movie tickets in advance in order to go see a movie, and the main arc of the whole thing is the conflict. What is happening in the movie that's keeping my attention? We are are attracted to conflict. Uh, The conflict on the baseball field, on the football field, uh, conflict in the the boxing ring, you name it, we, we are attracted to conflict. And conflict doesn't have to be in the negative column, it's a good thing, because it creates a certain amount of tension that we need to address today. The relational tension that happens in conflict is an indicator that something is wrong. It's a dashboard light that we need to pay attention to. And so I wanna offer you just a few thoughts. We're gonna situate the idea of conflict and then I'm gonna give you some very practical handlebars for Thursday uh, to how do you apply these things? How do you take the word of God and not just hear it, but do something with it when it comes to potential and future connection regrets. So if you're taking notes, jot this down. Number one, conflict is everywhere. You don't have to look far to find conflict. Many times conflict will end up finding you. From that horn that they honk when you saw it was green, let me get my foot off the brake. Conflict's everywhere. Conflict is flipping the channels, you got conflict. Conflict is Somebody you saw walking into church and they're like, you know, and you walk, oh, hello, God bless you. Conflict's ever. Conflict is around us with people that we're not associated with. But then we've got conflict between us where we have something around this, like in your family, there's a conflict between your sister and your dad. That's around us. 
but then you have conflict between us, it's you and your dad or you and your sister or you and your brother or you and your spouse. On top of that, we have conflict in us. Our spirit, body, and soul are at conflict with each other where my flesh wants to cry out, do this, eat this, think this, react this way, and my spirit says, mm, don't, don't live by the flesh, walk by the spirit of Jesus. And that is a battle inside of us. The conflict in us of our own insecurities, our guilt, our shame, even our sin, those things can affect us on the inside that affect between us, that affect around us. Conflict is everywhere. Number two, unresolved conflict creates unwanted damage. It may just be a dripping faucet now, but if left unchecked, could destroy your entire house. If just left unchecked, a dripping pipe can create unbelievable, unwanted damage. Here's some things that when you're dealing with conflict and you're choosing to like, forget it, I'm not even gonna waste, I'm not even gonna waste my time with them. Unresolved and kind of ignored conflict. Here's what it can happen in you. If you let it fester, if you let that seed germinate and begin to grow, it'll hinder you. It'll, it'll hinder your happiness. Like, it's gonna be hard for you to be enjoyable to be around and just enjoy stuff when you let unresolved conflict go unnoticed. It will still bring damage. Look what scripture says in Job. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. Being angry at someone, holding that grudge, we think that we're getting them. It's actually getting you. You know what else it does? It hinders my prayers. What? Yeah, unresolved conflict can hinder your prayers. Watch this in First uh, Peter. Husbands, listen up, husbands. <clears throat> in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect so that they'll do whatever you ask them to do. That's not how it ends. Some of you husbands are already like, what, what is the reference? But what, huh, what? A, let's get that tattooed. No, 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 no. As you live with your wives and treat them with respect, be considerate of them so that nothing will hinder your prayers. The way I treat my wife affects my spiritual walk with Jesus. Why? Because if I'm not centering my life in Jesus, if he's not the center, something else is going to be. And anything else that's in the center except Jesus is going to be an imperfect core. And it's going to bring, it's going to bring issues. Here's another one. It hinders my fellowship with God, not just my spouse, but with my Lord. Scripture says right here in 1 John, the command we have from Christ is blunt. Loving God includes, and I know, I wish, it's, I, wish, I wish it wasn't in there either. Loving God includes loving people. You got to love both. You got to. Number three, conflict is not a sin. 
So if you've dealt with conflict with someone, it's not because you're running from God. It's not because you're sinful. Like we would have ultimate harmony all the time. So we need to pray right now because if we're not in harmony, something's happening and we must, there must be sin in the camp. No, no, it just means like, like conflict's going to happen. Stuff's going to take place. You're going to be offended. And sometimes you're going to be offended for the right thing. And you're going to be offended for the dumb thing. And you're just going to be offended. Living unoffended is actually impossible according to scripture. But when you are offended, there is a response on how you respond scripturally. Conflict isn't a sin. Okay. Now let's, re let's remind ourselves what sin really is. Sin isn't the act I commit. Sin is the authority I reject. So sin is saying, I want to be in charge no matter what. Even if God says something different, I want it my way, that's sin. No matter what it is, that's sin. Now, conflict is not a sin. So if you're dealing with it, it's all right, but it can produce it. A conflict can produce the perfect soil for you to want to be the final say for you to want to be the final authority, for you to get the last word in edgewise, for you to be rude, for you to be critical, for you to slander. Instead of resolving the conflict, you get a little bit of reprieve. This is why gossip and slander are so deadly and they are packed right in there with murder even. Because when I gossip about something, I get a little bit of a, a fix, but then I also get to keep the seeds of bitterness and basically what I've done is I have traded in the blessings of God for a very temporary high of gotcha. And someone agreed with me. And someone said, oh, I know they didn't. And you said, oh, they did. Like, well, what are you gonna do about it? And then all of a sudden, like it's three months later and they're like, I saw that jerk in Brookshire Brothers, you know, they were picking out this and that. I can't believe they even, you know, and it was like, it, was the, it wasn't even the name brand. <laughs> Number four, or five, should have been four. I guess I named it wrong. Conflict is never resolved by what? Yeah, you don't wake up in the morning after last night having the fight of your life with your spouse and you're leaning over saying, hey, hey, you good? I'm good. Let's go get pancakes. Very rarely is conflict resolved. It may be resolved by sleep and you don't remember the night before, but it is never resolved by accident. Scripture, Paul, Paul says, as much as possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. Live in peace with everyone. Everyone. Now here's what's interesting. The Greek word, in the original language, the word for everyone, okay, that word, do you know what it actually means? Everyone, that's it, it there's no secret. It's just everyone, that's all it means. And I want, I want to engage that, but you and I, if they would just, if, if they would have known, if they wouldn't have said, if, if, if they will come to, what happens is it's not even about them when it comes to the conflict. Let me tell you about my three biggest roadblocks that keep me kind of stuck in the quicksand of conflict. Here's three roadblocks that has nothing to do with them, okay? So many of us are living the kind of life 
that God didn't intend for you to live because you're kind of weighed down with worry and anxiety and, uh, and, and maybe bitterness or, or even like a, a, a resentment. God never meant for you to carry that weight with you. He says, cast your care on me. But we carry that when we're looking at the other person as they're the responsible party for my freedom, for, for my getting free, for my ability to get beyond this. And really it's my roadblocks that keep me. Here's just three. The first one is my fear. I'm afraid of what will happen if I bring it up. I don't wanna rock the boat. So I'm afraid that I'm gonna have to do, if I do this and it's gonna unravel that, then it's gonna unravel this. And, and, and my fear can keep me stuck in conflict of not dealing with the relational tension. I'm afraid of what they'll think of me. I'm afraid of what else will happen. I'm afraid they'll, they'll stiff arm me and they'll cut me out of their life. My fear. When Adam and Eve sinned, rejected the authority of God by eating the fruit, they realized they were naked and they were afraid. And so what did they do? They hid from God. They hid from God. God didn't bust over the gates of Eden coming in. Click, 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 click. For those of you that grew up, you know, not in the 80s or 90s, that's the sound of the belt coming out of the belt loops. God didn't come out as... He came looking for them. He, they didn't even have to go looking for God, but their fear caused them to hide. And many times our fear of what could happen or won't happen can isolate us. My pride. I'm not the one that should have to go to them. I shouldn't have to deal with this. Or we don't even realize it is pride, but it is pride when we're like, I'm better than that. And I, you know, I'm just gonna let it go instead of doing the hard work of reconciliation. But can I tell you that my, my fear and my pride, those are two really big ones. But there was this lie that I grew up with. It was from, and, and, and maybe I shouldn't have put so much stock into it, but when you're 11, you have a lot of pe you know, you, people just invest in your lives. And Saturday cartoons, G.I. Joe, I didn't miss. And at the end of every G.I. Joe cartoon, there was like a real life situation where you know, kids are riding their bikes and there's a cable on the ground. It's like, <laughs> like oh, stop, John. We don't want to do that. Uh, and he's like, I'll just move it. I'll just get it. I'll kick it out of the way. And here comes General Hawk and says, no, kids, don't do this. Get a responsible adult. It will shock you and kill you, blah, blah, blah. And they say, whoa, thanks, General Hawk. Now we know. And General Hawk says, and knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe. Can I tell you, General Hawk's a liar because knowing ain't half the battle because if knowing was half the battle, half our battles would be solved because we know it. Knowing's about 10% the battle. Understanding my fear, understanding my pride, about 10% the battle, to be honest. Let me tell you what the real battle is. My approach. H how I actually then engage recognizing my fear or my pride or my insecurity or my, my fault or my part, my approach, okay, is really where 90% of the battle is. And so for the rest of the time we have, I just wanna offer you some steps. I think these are healthy steps for you. This is not the all-inclusive. 
And I believe many times the Holy Spirit wants to leave enough room in process where we don't arithmetic the deal because there are times where the Holy Spirit wants to lay on your heart a different way to deal with something. I'm just reminded of a story. I preached a funeral for an incredibly sweet woman of God. Uh, her name was Charlotte Krinick. And I preached the funeral right here several years ago. And hearing stories about Charlotte, she, for, for many, many, many years, just a, a sound, wise counsel, woman who sought the face of God and was close to Jesus. And friends of hers told me the story as I was preparing for her funeral that when she was a kid, she was bullied on the playground. And when she went home to tell her mom, I'm being bullied on the playground after it had happened several times, the next morning, her mom got her up. And this is different the way, <laughs> the way that my dad was raised. When my dad was raised, hey, I'm getting bullied. If you don't come back having punched Sam in the nose, then you're, not, you're gonna eat outside. Like, I mean, that was how they dealt with it. But Charlotte's mom, before she was walking out for that day, she gave Charlotte a Hershey's chocolate bar. She said, when that, when that bully comes up, before he can say anything, just hold your hand out and give him a chocolate bar. And so sure enough, recess came and they were next to the tether balls. That's the way I see it. <sighs> the bully comes up to push her out of the way to play tether ball and she just, Charlotte, little old Charlotte, just pulls out a Hershey's bar. And the kid's like, snatches it out of her hand, walks off. She goes home that day and she goes, I did it, he just grabbed it and took it. Okay, okay. Next morning, mom gives her another chocolate bar. Do the same thing. Goes up. The second time, the bully shows up. Charlotte pulls out the Hershey's bar. And the bully says, are you sure? He says, thank you, Charlotte. And they never fought again. This may not be your Hershey bar, but the Holy Spirit wants to give you divine wisdom because he loves you. He wants to comfort you. You don't need just another seven steps from, from JY. Although these are biblical and you can apply them, let me tell you what you need more than anything else. You need a surrendered heart to say, speak Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you guide me? Would you just... I wanna do what you want me to do, not what my flesh wants me to do. And whether it's a Hershey bar, it's a conversation or whatever it is, I know that he will not lead you astray. But for the time we have, I wanna give you just like a not so easy approach, because this ain't easy. If it were easy, we'd all be doing it. If no one's half the battle, we'd all be battling it out. But it's a not so easy approach to reaching out. Jesus would say it would be an approach to making peace. Blessed are the peace. Makers, And this is kind of how you go through that process, all right? Here's some handlebars for Monday. Number one, I'm gonna find the courage to address the tensions. If my fear and my pride and my approach are blockades, they, they are roadblocks for me, then this one deals with your fear because he wants to give you supernatural courage to actually address the tension, and you may not realize it, but addressing the tension is a whole lot more important and you're being a whole lot more obedient than you realize when you engage courage and address the tension. Look what Jesus says again in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. If you're standing before the altar in the temple and you're given an offering to God. Now, 
in that day and age, you would go into the temple and it wouldn't start like it starts now, but it would be worship. You'd cleanse your hands, you'd get baptized, you'd go through a process of worship, a process of adoring God. And finally, you'd get to the temple uh, there at the altar and there would be a sacrifice, a blood sacrifice. And at that moment, then you're covered until the next sacrifice, okay? And so if you're there and you go to the worship house and you are singing a song and you're having a good time and you're about ready to have an offering to God and you suddenly remember someone has something against you. You ever been that? Been there? You suddenly remember, whoops. Like this morning I had to suddenly remember my son is not ready to go and it's 8.58 and I didn't even wake him up for church. So as a, as a good follower of God and pastor, my son just missed church because I completely forgot about him. Here I was preparing my sacrifice. You remember someone has something against you. Here's what you do. Oh, you remember that Carl said that thing. And you're in the middle of, I believe for it. No, 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 no. You're like, oh, that Melissa can sing. Boy, that pastor Stephen is so handsome. Like, oh, he is like Stephen Curtis Chapman and Johnny Cash combined. And, and you're just like, worshiping God. And in the middle of it, you're like, oh, that Carl. I hate that dude. Or, or actually, you're thinking, oh, that Carl. He's really upset with me. I don't even know why he's upset with me, but he's really upset with me. Scripture says, you leave your offering there beside the altar. You go at once and first be reconciled to that person. That's how important it is. That's how much God sees relationship of loving people and loving him are deeply intertwined. It's why when Jesus gives us the prayer model of how to pray our Father in heaven, it starts with our Father in heaven. But right after he's done praying it, he doubles down on the part where it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespassed against us. Because right the next scripture, he says, because if you don't forgive, I won't forgive you. That's tough, but it's God. He's like, you can, you can call me father in heaven, but if you can't get to the whole forgiveness piece, if you don't forget, like, you don't get me. You don't understand me. You don't even know your father if you can't understand that piece. So let me just say, reconciliation takes priority over worship. Like God cares about you reconciling so much or at least addressing it. It's a higher priority, according to Jesus, than just worship. Because how can you really worship with spirit and truth if you know there's a wedge between you and a neighbor? Whether I'm the offender or I'm the offended. In this particular thing, Jesus says, you remember that someone has something against you. It's not that you remember that you have something against someone. Whether I'm the offended or I'm the offender, it is my move. You're the one that needs to leave. You're not waiting in your worship, waiting for them to come over to you in the middle of it. I'm sorry I said that. It's your move. It's your move. Some of you before noon today, you need to make a move. You pray about it and follow the process. Invite the Holy Spirit into all of it. Some of you, one of the biggest things keeping you from what God wants to do next in your life is something you're not letting go. And here's the deal. My worship is worth less. It's not worthless, but it's worth less until I do. God didn't even care about the offering. 
Because what your real offering is starts here. You know the reason we give is to show God and show one another where our heart really is. We don't give just so the church can move forward. As you're faithful to give, to show God, here's my heart, I surrender, you're number one. As we give tithes and offerings, and if you've never tried to put them to the test, you should. Not because your pastor says it, because the Bible says it. And if you wanna follow the word, giving is part of following the word. But like, try that, see what, see what God does. But what happens is, is I show him my heart and then because I show him my heart in my giving, I'm able to then, the church is able to do cool stuff because we've shown him his heart. We're able to launch, uh, relaunch groves. We're able to do what God calls next, but it doesn't start with what the church can do. It starts with who's gonna be God in our life. And my worship is worth less until I deal with the stuff God's called me to deal with. Number three, number two, I will confess my part. This is the pride piece where you, you, have, you played a part and listen, for some, some, it was 99%, it was 99.8% them, and it was 0.02 whatever percent you. Okay, I get it. That's okay. Confess your part. Now, what that doesn't sound like is later tonight, leaning over to your wife and saying, babe, look, 98% um, of this whole situation is really you but Pastor Jeremy said that I should deal with my 2%. And so that's what this is. Don't, don't bring me into the bedroom, <laughs> bucko. I will confess my part. And you know what the best way to confess your part? It starts with an effective apology. It starts with an effective apology, but we don't know. We've kind of lost the art of how to effectively apologize these days. Now, I came up with a couple of, I, 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 I'm, I'm titling these uh, some apologies that are pretty common that I've dealt with, and maybe you've dealt with them too, and I, I, I kind of LOL'd a little bit this morning when I wrote them out, but they're true because they, I've totally used them. The first one is this, now you see it, now you don't. Apology. You see it up front, but then it kind of loses, you kind of, it goes invisible real fast, and, and that apology sounds like this, I'm sorry I hurt you. But you always never, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that I did that. But if you would just, right? That's a now you see it, now you don't apology. Here's, a, here's another one. The secretly shifting blame and very lame apology. It sounds good up front, but if you, as you dissect it, you're like, well, I, I do not think that means what you think it means. And it's... Uh, Hey, I'm sorry if it made you feel like, okay, now how's that? That one's a little bit more uh, sneaky. I'm sorry if me flying off the handle caused you to feel like, I I'm sorry if you don't trust me to do that. I'm sorry if you, okay? And what happens is it's a very easy incognito way to not really take the blame or not even take responsibility for your part. Let, let me give you one that is not, uh, it, it doesn't always work, but it is definitely the log jam breaker apology, which you can start here. If you take this one to the extreme, you can take on a victim mentality and you don't wanna do that either, but this is a great place to, to start with an apology, okay? I'm gonna give it to you. 
you may want to take a picture of this one because it's not in your notes because you don't want to use it and I'm going to say you're welcome later, <laughs> okay? Here it is. You're not going to like it, but here it is. I'm sorry. I tend to only think of myself first because you do <laughs> and I do too. The book of James says, what starts quarrels and fights among you? Is it not your own desires within you? You want what you can't have. And what we want is to always be right and you can't have that. And what we want is to get the last word and you don't always need that. And so I'm sorry, I do tend to only think of myself first. It's not that I don't think of you, it's that very quickly I'm wired for self-preservation and focus on myself. And Jesus invites us to a better life than that. All right, number three. I will choose curiosity over defensiveness. We are wired to be defensive, but curiosity, it may have killed the cat, it makes you a whole lot better leader, makes you a whole lot better follower of Jesus when you're curious. Jesus asked 168 questions through the four gospels, and he's Jesus. He has all the answers. He knows. He knows everybody. But he asks great questions. Even God. The first question God asks in the Bible, where are you? He knows where they are. They're hiding naked with just fig leaves behind the sycamore tree. But he asks questions because it, it brings clarity, not just to the person asking questions, but the person answering the questions. Questions are kind and it's about your approach. Choose curiosity. Don't just say, I know that ticked you off when I did that, and I'm sorry. Hey, when I said that, it caused a response in you. What was that? Can we talk about that? Because it may be that the response that you're reading as ticked off may be a completely different response, but you've already kind of manhandled the thing without even asking, what are you really feeling right now? What are you feeling? Okay. An undervalued character trait of Jesus. We love Jesus in his humility. We love Jesus in his courage. We love Jesus in his love. We love Jesus in his forgiveness. But here's an undervalued character trait of Jesus, and it's this, paying attention, which I didn't do when I wrote this slide because I was paying attention. And I noticed that in first service, and I said to them, I was gonna tell you that I did that on purpose to see if you were really paying attention, but you weren't paying attention. But here's the deal, how quickly we kind of gloss over things and we don't really pay attention to what someone's saying, what someone's feeling, where someone's coming from. And an undervalued character trait, Jesus knows everybody and yet he pays attention to them. Mary and Martha have lost their brother Lazarus to death and they had told him he was sick and Jesus didn't come when they asked him to come in four days. Not only did he not come, but then he took the journey there. He had been dead four days and they had, they had already sent him an email. They had already texted him. He said, man, I hear you. And he pushes the heart button on it, but he doesn't show up. And Martha shows up and says, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus gives her a theological statement because Martha is that way. You'll read about her. He goes into Mary. Mary says the exact same thing, Martha. Have you, had you been here, he wouldn't have died. 
And this is where we get the shortest verse in all of the Bible, John eleven thirty five. Jesus wept. Mary needed from Jesus for Jesus just to feel her. And he was paying attention because it was the same question, but he was paying attention and they got different responses. Parents, it ain't a one size fit all. Okay, what worked for you was, well, my dad would just tell me, you, you go to the woodshed. Okay, Spo spare the rod, spoil the child. I get that. But don't cookie cutter your discipline just because it worked for you. Don't mean it's gonna work for every other kid. You have to, you, you are raising individual made in the image of God champions. It deserves more of your attention than just discipline in the way the other people in culture discipline or saying whatever the other people in culture are saying. Can I tell you dads, let me tell you, get this out of your vernacular. If you got beautiful girls, like I got a beautiful daughter at home, 19 now, okay, and boys start coming around, wanting to pay them an attention to when they're 24, 25, just kidding, when they're young. And you know what we tend to say? Well, I'm gonna have my shotgun ready. <laughs> you know, bless God. I'm gonna put the fear of God in them. That might just be your future son-in-law. So I would pay attention. I would pay attention. You wanna drive the whole relationship based on fear? Based on, oh, I'm, I'm rough and tough. You, do you really think that that's the kind of guy you want most for your daughter? So the first conversation that I've had with the two boys that my daughter's shown interest in have been, hey, my daughter doesn't go on agendaless dates. If you don't have an agenda, you, you don't get to date my daughter. A non-agenda date is the leading cause of teen pregnancy. <laughs> okay. That's funny. I think it's funny, but anyway, it is. Duh. It's like, what are we going to do? I don't know. Let's just hang out and talk on the trampoline. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Moving on. Where the heck am I going with that? I say, hey, I, I, I have tried to treat my daughter with crazy respect. I'm treating her with crazy respect in her boundaries. Um, I've never seen my daughter naked past one year old. Um, I'm asking you not to see my daughter naked either. <laughs> and so let me tell you why I'm saying all this to you. Bobby Joe is because uh, Jesus loves you and he cares about you. And I love my daughter, but nobody cares like my, for my daughter like, like Jesus cares. And all of this relationship is partially to show the world who Jesus is. And so I'm asking you, help me. Help me in your dating relationship show the world who Jesus is. Okay. Now that's a lot harder and it's a lot, e it's a lot harder for you, maybe easier for me. I kind of talk like this for a living, I guess. But parents, let's do better. Pay attention. Give them a, a greater goal than just to be scared to death of you. All right? Paying attention. Listen for the hurt in someone if you've had conflict. All right? Let me go through these quick now. Number four, I want to tell the truth tactfully. Tactfully. Some of you misread that and you thought I said, I will tell the truth attackfully. Like, yeah, now I'm going to get them. Now I'm going to get them. Jot this down. It's not in your notes. I'm never persuasive when I'm abrasive. 
You might be persuasive one or two times, but you will not long-term be persuasive if all you are is abrasive. And you might say, well, I'm just being honest. I'm just being honest. If you don't like the truth, don't come around me because I'm just being honest. Well, I'm just being honest is not a free pass to just being ugly and just being like, you know, a jerk. So truth without love will be resisted eventually with your kids and with your friends. Truth with love is more easily received. Number five, I will fix the problem, not the blame. We tend to want to fix the blame on someone versus fix the problem. When Janet and I have an argument, we can very easily go to boxing mode where she's in that corner and I'm in this corner. And who cares about the issue? We're just going to fight each other. We're just going to go, we're just going to get upset with each other. And after, after a few, after a few rounds of duking it out verbally, what are, what are we even fighting over? Honestly, the better is for me to take her hand and bring her over here saying, we're not fighting each other on this. We're going to fix the issue. Now that issue may be my insensitive comment, but it's, it's not that she hates me. It's not that she doesn't think I'm enough. She thinks that that's not my best work. That right there is the issue. Not me. I'm not the issue, but that comment I said is the issue. So let's talk about that comment and what, and what happened with that. Are you, are you following me on that? Okay. Number six, I'll focus on reconciliation, not just resolution. It's one thing to say, I'm sorry, you're sorry, we're good, okay, let's move on, and still hold a grudge. Reconciliation balances the books. But as much as you wanna try, there's some people, no matter what approach you take, you can be as humble as Jesus Christ himself, and they won't receive it. Just because you want reconciliation and restoration doesn't mean you'll get it. And that's that whole addiction to control. So because I won't get it, I won't give my forgiveness. I won't give my vulnerability. I won't give those things to the Lord. So number seven is I will forgive. Whether they receive it or not, whether they will ever understand the depths of your forgiveness, I will forgive. Now right here is the moment where you love to start putting up your notes because I just gave you the last blank. And instead of right now thinking about anybody that you need to approach, you're thinking about Cotton Patch or getting your dadgum kids because you don't wanna have that line and go there and it goes forever over there at KidWorks. Or that the pastor just said dadgum. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so just, 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 just pause for a second. Pause. Who do you need to forgive? I've already forgiven them. Jesus said, for some it's gonna be a 70 times seven thing because you have forgiven them, but then it creeps back up and you gotta forgive them again. And it creeps back up and you gotta forgive them again. You got at least 490 times biblically that if you're at 480, there's still work to be done. There's still work of forgiveness to be done. I will forgive.
And the truth is when I forgive, it may not change their heart. They may not change a lick in their life, but it always changes me. Forgiveness always changes me because it realigns my heart with the one who created it. So, for where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. That has been the prayer service scripture forever. We're all gathered together and the Lord says, if two or three are gathered in my name, he is in the midst of us, so let us pray. Do you know that scripture has nothing to do with prayer? That scripture is in response of Matthew 18, where Jesus is communicating, here's how you deal with conflict. Here's how you deal with conflict. You go to the person, if they won't hear you, you bring someone else with you. If they won't hear you, then you treat them like an outsider. And you know what, for a long time, I misunderstood that. I misunderstood that scripture. You treat them like an outsider. They ain't in my circle. They ain't in my family. Uh-uh, treat them like an outsider. How did Jesus treat outsiders? <laughs> How does God treat outsiders? For God so loved the outsider. You can't fix them. You can't affix the blame. And you've gone to them. You treat them like Jesus. You don't have to be buddies, but you can't not love one another. So there are two or three of us here and no doubt that two or three of us have been hurt. Two or three of us have hurt others. Two or three of us haven't reached out. Two or three of us may have wanted to try to make it right, but you didn't know how. And that's what this Sunday has been all about. Now you know, and you will be blessed if you do these things. And you can live with fewer regrets, better relationships. Would you close your eyes with me, bow your heads. The greatest connection you could ever have is the connection with the God of the cosmos who doesn't invite connection with him through a mathematical equation or through a list of being nice and not very naughty. He invites you to relationship with him, not based on what you could ever do, but based on what his son did. Died on a cross for you. His first words on the cross, Father, forgive them. And he was thinking of all of us. We are the them. And maybe for the first time or a fresh time, you need to say to Jesus, Jesus, forgive me for trying to be the God of my life, for being the center of my universe. I invite you to be the center of my life today. In your own words, you'd say, thank you, Jesus, for not being mad at me, but for reconciling me to you. And I wanna receive it today. Thank you for this fresh start. And now for all of us in our rooms, is there a relationship that you've been ignoring the relational tension? It's time to offer that as a sacrifice 
not even to God, but unto God you would go to them and offer an apology, say you're sorry, ask forgiveness, and whether you get it or not, choose to forgive. If maybe there's a relationship that's been strained or a relationship that's got some tension, maybe you'd be honest with, with God and me and let me pray over you and just put a hand up in the air and then you can put it down. There's a relationship that's got some stuff in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of hands at the broadcast location and I, it's because there's a lot of humans here. <laughs> Jesus at all of our locations, everybody watching, anybody listening three months from now. Lord, we choose to forgive today because you first forgave us. We choose to love today because you first loved us. We choose to come to you today because you first came to us. Thank you. And I pray that you would bring the strength and the clarity, the kindness, the confession, the process, and your Holy Spirit as a guide to help us live with less regret in our connections. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen.